Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. David, how are you? I'm doing well. Dog days of summer in Brooklyn. <laughs> We're in a bit of a heat wave here. I'm settled into my new apartment, which has you know, given slight mentions of that on recent That's podcasts, right. but you know, now fully moved and settled and just, you know, looking to get through the rest of the summer. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I mean, that's no small saga with that move. I mean, that is a huge issue uh, moving from one place to another, especially in today's market and all that. You've upgraded your your apartment. You've upgraded your computer. I mean, you're you're on a roll here, David. I'm excited to get, <laughs> get going with you. And you've got two guests today, right? That's right. Yes, we have with us two guests from Newmark, uh, Lisa DeKnight, who is the head of industrial research, and Kyle Roberts, executive managing director. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So we're going to talk about the the industrial sector and some you know broad views of that, as well as uh, shine a light on some some research you guys have done. But before we we do that, just wanted to give you both an opportunity um, just to tell the audience uh, about yourselves. Go ahead, Lisa. Great. Um, well, my name is Lisa. I'm the, the National Director of Industrial Research at Newmark. Uh, Newmark is a global commercial real estate services firm facilitating client needs across all commercial property types. But my specific niche is industrial, and I help our industrial experts navigate the market and its many challenges and opportunities uh, through data and insight. And we have hundreds of industrial professionals across the country. And it's so rewarding for me because I get to have a conversation one moment with a colleague in California and another you know, moment, a colleague in Cleveland, and then a colleague, you know, like Kyle in, in Salt Lake City. And they're all talking about the same trends. And so these recurring themes emerge, which uh, my team then addresses through our uh, research paper series through our thought leadership, uh, through market reports. And it's just a, a great opportunity to be able to channel very quickly what our boots on the ground are, are saying about the market to uh, a national perspective. This is Kyle Roberts. I'm Executive Managing Director at Newmark. I have been in the business for about 27, going on 28 years, and uh, am a full-service industrial broker advisor, uh, touching all aspects of industrial real estate from supply chain optimization efforts for occupiers through uh, land acquisition, development consultation, um, lease up, and then ultimate disposition with my, my team of 12 here in Salt Lake. And I also spend uh, quite a bit of time in the in a leadership role with Newmark on our industrial platform since becoming a part of Newmark approximately eight years ago. I have um, been a member of either our industrial advisory board or its prior iterations, which is the broker-led body that that uh, sets policy initiatives as well as uh, the strategic direction of the industrial platform. And my role within that has historically been to be very focused on data trends, uh, all of the supporting iron sites that, that we look at uh, to predict where markets are going and why, and then also to understand and communicate those trends to our clients and, and other interested parties. Cool. So thank you for that. Um, so 
yeah, the industrial sector, uh, as no secret to our audience that it's been, you know, the hottest sector right up there with multifamily, you know, throughout the pandemic coming out, coming out of the pandemic, vacancy rates remain microscopic levels around the country. There's this robust construction pipeline. Um, and that's happening even with this broader context right now of, you know, trying of the fed trying to deal with inflation and rising interest rates. There's, there's a lot of, so I guess just, I thought it would be a good time to kind of check in on, on some of these trends and, and, and perhaps some of the stuff that, that you've shined a light on recently. Like there was a recent report that you put out around the impact that construction timelines are having on the development pipeline. So maybe that would be a good jumping off point to just talk about what is the status of industrial development, what's impacting it, and uh, what can we expect to see? There were so many conversations had over the past six, eight, 12 months about the increasing challenge of getting a building up and out of the ground. Um, Everything from sourcing materials to getting the the labor in place to to actually construct these buildings. Uh, And then even before all of that, the entitlement processes to actually get this building approved to be built. So the, the, the piece that we've most recently put out was, as you referenced, about the, the construction timelines really lengthening and, and how that both the, the deliveries and the, the overall volume of construction we have um, underway nationwide now. And it's, it's very interesting to see when we did talk to all of these local markets and um, developers and, and brokers in those local markets, on average, how much the, the construction timelines have shifted from pre-pandemic periods. On average, it's about two and a half months more to go through entitlements now than in 2019. And in addition, another two and a half months on average to actually construct these buildings. Um, and that, that has directly impacted our uh, pipeline because we, we have you know, over 600 million square feet under construction right now. That is by far record volume. But our deliveries have been so muted in response. So there's this this big disconnect from you know, tenants who really need space now, but it's delivering so, you know, drips and drabs, relatively speaking. And so we, we really wanted to quantify that trend and, you know, understand where it was going directionally too. You know, when you when you see a pipeline of, of that size, you kind of wonder what's going on. And so the, the interior dynamics of, of the actual construction timelines were um, were important to, to get down on paper so we can understand how that will change going forward. And so if you add five months, what what is that what is the total timeline then with that extra five months that you just mentioned, the two and a half for entitlements and the two and a half for just the construction process? Yeah, so it actually varies pretty significantly from market to market. Um, so we, we looked at around 15 markets across the country, uh, a nice mix of both primary and secondary and tertiary markets to see that the, the trends were the same in terms of, of lengthening timelines in general, but just how much those 
timelines lengthened did vary quite significantly. So for example, in, in Dallas and in Houston and Texas markets, you, you can still get a warehouse you know, entitled in less than a year. You can still get it built in less than a year. But if you go to a market like Southern California, you know, it's, it's taking significantly longer um, in both the entitlements period and in the active construction timeline. Uh, the, the Inland Empire, for example, uh, it took about you know, a year on average uh, prior to the pandemic for entitlements to be put in place. That shifted to a, around an average of 18 months now. Um, similarly, the, the active construction timeline was around a year, um, add on, you know, three months to that. So in, in total, you're looking around two years for a, a process that took significantly shorter pre-pandemic. And the, the projects that are in the pipeline now, is there a breakdown between how much of that is spec construction versus how much of it is you know, being built specifically for somebody? And then how does that all with, you know, just so yeah, get, I would like to understand the breakdown of that. And then also understand then for just given the low occupancy rate, what that means for uh, occupiers who are looking for industrial space right now. So the, the breakdown between built to suit and speculative space in our construction pipeline has hovered in the the 70% range speculative to built suits. Um, So over the past year or so, it hasn't really varied all that much from, you know, 72 to I'd say 77% on any given quarter is speculative versus built to suit. And in terms of making space now, (laughs) that's, that's the hard part because you, you literally can't build space fast enough in some of these markets where the, the barriers are so high to entry, like, say, the Inland Empire um, or, or other land-constrained markets like northern New Jersey. So there's, there is a disconnect. And, and in fact, we, we've seen that in our quarterly net absorption numbers. You know, they're, they're, they've been extraordinary uh, over the past five quarters. It's actually topped 100 million square feet, which you did not see prior to, you know, the, the structural shift of the, the you know, pandemic. That being said, the absorption would have been higher if our deliveries had kept pace and were not being dragged down by the uh, supply chain struggles, the, the you know, difficulty in sourcing labor, all of that uh, has made it more difficult for tenants to get the, the new space they need in the course of the past 18 months. And, and I, what I think the nuance in those data points that is often lost, and I think it's uh, reflective of what both demand has been and the challenge that occupiers have, particularly people with titles like vice presidents of, of logistics. And, um, and that, the difficulty is, um, one, you're forecasting occupancy on inventory that's delivering maybe much further out than what you would likely or would optimally want to have it delivering to occupy it, but you're also trying to forecast what are the transportation and labor impacts around when that specific component of inventory or or regional inventory is being delivered if a supply chain study says that you need to have X amount of square feet in this location. 
and it's there's been just so much volatility in in the both the labor markets and in the supply chain it's made it difficult for people to forecast and that's uh, that has, in the exuberant kind of run-up of moving from just-in-case to, or rather just-in-time to just-in-case mm-hmm. supply chain methodology, what's happened is users erred on the side of taking more faster if it was available. And so the nuance in the deliveries is the amount of pre-lease increased. So while it's it's the build-to-suit or owner-occupied amount of the inventory has remained relatively consistent over time, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. What's changed is the amount that has pre-leased relative to building deliveries, and that ratio has increased. And it's increased because of of the need to have certainty that a a footprint can be delivered for a company that has determined it needs a footprint in a specific geography. So given this, what we're seeing in the macro and economy versus given the the policy decisions that are happening and overall the 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 plans around the interest rates rate hikes we've already seen the plans the, the expectation that we'll see more the attempts to slow inflation which we saw even today's numbers saw maybe that the first signs that that may be starting the attempt to slow inflation may, may, may be beginning to take uh, root. Are there, How is that impacting these dynamics that you're describing? That's a, uh, a very good question. And I think the heart of, of what we're, we're focusing our time on, both understanding and forecasting the impact of, if we, if we can agree that industrial real estate is ultimately the real estate of things, mm-hmm. it's things being made, being stored, being packaged, being delivered, then ultimately either direct to consumer, direct to business, uh, or to a brick and mortar retail uh, outlet for sale, um, the demand for space is going to be directly linked to what inventories are, right? Um, how much of it do you need in order to sell it? And companies are constantly balancing the amount of inventory that they need to both have a, a good enough cushion to withstand any kind of structural shifts that occur like we saw during the pandemic, but also not over-inventorying to the extent that it becomes a balance sheet burden for those companies. So it, the simplest metric to look at to, to determine what does forward-looking absorption and the health of the industrial market look like is to look at consumer spending. Uh, at the end of the day, in a comp- in an economy that has 70% of its GDP based on on consumption, you can look directly at the the increase or reduction of consumption, uh, and that informs what will likely happen with inventories. You've seen uh, a great number of um, brick and mortar and e-commerce companies make announcements um, in the first and second quarters, effectively declaring that they are over-inventoried. That consumption is is not keeping pace with the level of delivered inventories, and that has has many companies trying to execute a strategy of uh, of re- relieving the oversupply of inventory that's ultimately going to have an effect on price. And if you think about kind of the uh, the nuance within inventory, is you can look at total dollar volumes, but they they aren't really a good indic- indicator in a in a hyperinflationary environment because the relative cost of each individual unit of whatever it is that's being sold, you can sell the same dollar volume, but if we round inflation to ten percent, you're only selling ninety percent of of whatever the widget is to create the same dollar volume of sales. So mm-hmm. historically, that has been the metric that a lot of people have have utilized is, is sales volume. 
Um, but you can't use that in today's environment. You really need to look at the the units that are being sold. And so we have a kind of a double whammy for for inventories that's occurring where consumption is reducing. It's you know anywhere from seven to nine percent year over year in you know total total U.S. consumption uh, of consumer goods. And at the same time, that dollar volume represents somewhere on the order of only ninety percent of the actual units that would make up that consumption being sold. So you can imagine that that companies that are inventory reliant are are having to find religion for lack of a better term as to <laughs> what is really the the right footprint that we that we need in prior cycles to use you know that term relatively loosely as they're all different but uh, where there has all, I can just say periods of of rapid change that manifest as cycles we typically will enter a period of user behavior that's referred to as supply chain optimization so it's mm-hmm. uh, moving away from the the frantic acquisition of space for the reasons we talked about before you mean the the safety is just lease it while it's there and maybe it's more than what you need, but you may not have it, so you got to do it, to what do we really need? And if you think about consumption patterns, um, if you're not selling as many things, particularly those things that are high dollar volume, furniture, large electronics, things of that nature that have have over recent history become just in time, same day delivery, um, we'll set up the furniture in the backyard and take away your old furniture. All of those things are are some of the inventory segments that are are hardest hit. If you probably don't need it to be next day, you probably don't need it to be arriving, you, you know, within a twelve hour or a one day drive cycle for for your your transportation. So what that's causing companies to do, and it's what's buoying absorption in markets like Texas. Um, and others that have a significant amount of supply delivery, but the relative rate, the rental rate that's associated with it, as well as the regulatory environment and the, and the labor markets are supportive of doing consolidation. Um, so you may have users that are actually reducing footprint and concentrating inventory that that does not uh, necessarily need to be a sustained quantity of inventory based on sales and then are going to be decommissioning and moving out of some facilities that are uh, that were more just in time or same day in orientation and that's that we're entering that phase of the market it hasn't manifested itself yet um, but we're we're seeing the network analysis being done we're seeing clients requiring a, a tremendous amount of uh, of data to to forecast what rents are going to be in various markets and where are those opportunities that exist for them to be able to consolidate large amounts of inventory in markets that are less expensive to occupy in because you can pretty well get you know anywhere in the United States within a, a two day drive cycle. Oh. So that's you know one of the major shifts that's occurring right now. So yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, 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 for sure. No, but I mean, it just it just gives a, people a sense that like, you know, you think about this industrial sector, it's not, I mean, I, th- I mean, I think even the fact that we, 
I'm still using the word industrial. I think there's more of a move to saying logistics real estate, just uh, sure. because it gets at the to this point that it's it's we're not just talking about you know plain vanilla boxes anymore. We're talking about a sophisticated supply chain that's uh, more integrated with and with with consumers and and that this whole sector has become has really been modernized and transformed uh, a lot. And so that's and so these variables are kind of constantly coming into play for the users of this space that it's that it this is not just this this is a very complex business and and managing this stuff optimally is uh kind of a you know it's, it's juggling act that's that's being affected by all these factors that we were talking about before it's absolutely right and it's and it's inefficient right um if you if you think about real estate in general as an asset class versus other investment vehicles uh, where you can look at supply and demand factors that might affect movement in price of those assets, ours in real estate is one of the least efficient. If if it takes 24 to 36 months um, in a primary market or 18 to 24 months in a secondary market to deliver inventory, a lot can happen in that time period, right? So the, I, I think the, the crux of uh, one of the, the takeaways from the report that, that Lisa drafted relative to the time it's taking to deliver is it, it has actually provided a, a natural retardant to overbuilding markets. Mm-hmm. Whereas in historical time periods, when there's you know kind of the lemmings to the ledge mentality of get into this asset class and do whatever it takes to get into it, um, and you have that kind of feeding frenzy, there are some, you know, real barriers to to preventing a rampant overbuilding scenario. And I, I'm hopeful that that what we see out of this, and I believe it will it will occur, is some restoration to something that's closer to equilibrium. Ultimately that does see a slowing of demand in in some ways, but in order for the market to remain healthy, it just needs to be that which is delivered and can it be absorbed in a reasonable time period. And there isn't anything on the horizon that suggests that it won't, but there are things on the horizon that that suggest that companies are really struggling with a change in consumption patterns that are caused by inflation uh, and then also exacerbated by uh, movement and cost of funds. It just leaves less in the wallet to um, to consume, uh, and people are having to react to companies are having to react to that that new normal. So, what does then this mean for investors? Say you're trying to think of you know uh, looking at putting some money in real estate right now and looking at the industrial sector versus some of the other major or minor sectors. Is industrial still a place that people, that you, that you see investors uh, wanting to get into, that you're, that you're seeing different kinds of capital target this space? Yes, uh, absolutely. So again, just back to the kind of original thesis of industrial real estate is the real estate of things. Um, and if you believe that the um, that our population base in the United States is going to grow, and there are certain you know certainly geographies where population growth will be more uh, prevalent than in others, but population in general, um, and if you believe that our economy is going to remain consumption based, and I I haven't talked to anybody or read anything or investigated anything that suggests it's going to be the opposite of that um, for the foreseeable future. Um, then you have to believe that, that that stuff has to get made, stored, packaged, and delivered from someplace. Uh, so the only uh, 
the only shift that's occurring that we see in the market right now is not a, a the level of interest in the asset class, but really where the interest is coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have a, and part of that is really reversion, it's trades, right? Um, institutions are having an extraordinarily difficult time right now underwriting development uh, or forward acquisitions, which would be you know something you're buying a building that does not have an occupant, um, but you believe rents are going to be higher tomorrow than they are today, so you're going to buy a building vacant and and get that arbitrage. Uh, it is difficult for a lot of the institutions uh, that have you know such incredible controls um, and requirements from investment committees and otherwise to uh, to bracket and prove what outcomes are going to be in a market where we don't know what monetary policy is going where it's going to end right where is where is the increase in uh, in interest rates going to end uh, and or when is it going to level off so that that pricing discovery that's occurring right now um, can have a period where it can calm down and people can kind of adjust to what is the new normal. So there's some some transactional gridlock that's occurring primarily from the institutional buying segment uh, in, you know, what do we have to pay for something to, to achieve an, a, an acceptable return? And then also sellers that, uh, you know, psychologically, if it was worth X amount more yesterday than it is today. Uh, that's a tough pill to swallow, and and it takes a minute for uh, for the markets to kind of adjust and and decide that they you know they want to continue to do business. So when you have a reduction of sales volume in general, it it usually causes some retrenchment of institutional capital um, because nobody wants to make a mistake. Nobody wants to to act in a volatile environment where. Um, where you where it may get worse or it may get better, and you know the the consequence of doing something is a significant monetary consequence. What that's allowed for, though, is a lot of the investors that have historically been um, kind of the mainstay of the industrial market prior to it becoming a uh, really an institutional darling at a lot of high net worth um, individuals, family offices. Mm-hmm. Um, syndicated development groups or otherwise that uh, that have been priced out of the market, frankly. It's been too difficult for them to compete. Uh, they don't they tend not to be recycling capital uh, the way that institutions are, and they have a much more long-term view of markets. And, uh, you know, their, their hold horizons may be generational, not, you know, three to five years. So for those groups, um, the ability to underwrite in today's environment is actually getting easier because they're not reliant on exit cap rates um, right. and the inability to forecast what those are going to be 24 to 36 months from now, um, you know, that's tough for anybody to do. So those that have that very long-term view of a market that are investing on an individual market's fundamentals rather than, um, you know, simply the recycling of capital, it's really opened the door for, uh, for that segment of the investor market to become uh, a much larger player, and we're and we're seeing that in deals that we're marketing, deals that we're involved with, um, all over the country. Interesting. So, the, so a little bit of a, a re, reshifting again in in who who can who can be moving and who isn't um, right now. Exactly right. Um, okay. Well, we've been going for a, a good chunk here, so I don't want to take too much of your time. But if there are any um, uh, other points that 
I mean, there's so much obvious fodder to talk about in this space, uh, but, but can, any kind of key takeaways that we haven't talked about that either of you want to highlight um, for the audience? I wanted to give you a chance to do that. I think the, the single biggest uh, focus for us right now in, in trying to forecast and predict where market movement's going to go is um, really what's going to happen with consumer spending. That's the, that's the bellwether indicator for us. Um, there are, you know, depending on, on the direction that political winds blow, if there is a uh, subsidized investment in, um, in manufacturing infrastructure that happens in the U.S., I think that's a very good long-term um, in, investment um, for industrial real estate fundamentals. And we didn't talk about, but what we're seeing um, is a huge resurgence of, of manufacturing interest uh, to our our partner border countries in Canada and Mexico, as well as in the U.S. So I think the nearshoring and re- reshoring of mm-hmm. manufacturing capacity is is going to alleviate some of the um, potential disruptions to supply chain that can create so much volatility in our markets, and that that's happening. But it takes you know three to five years to really manifest and build a plant, debug it, and get it producing whatever the widget is. But it's happening. So that may be a good thing for bring you back on the podcast. We could talk more about that that trend at another time. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, but Lisa, is there anything else you wanted to add? Kyle touched pretty much anything that was top of mind for me. I, I would just uh, encourage um, you know, interested parties to to visit Newmark's website in mrk.com. Um, under our research page, we we keep all of our industrial and other commercial property type research uh, top of mind. And, and we're always uh, producing what's top of mind for our clients and our, our internal colleagues um, in a you know, easily digestible form. So that's, that's the only addition that I would make. Well, and yeah, we'll we'll try to we'll put in our show notes some links as well um, to the most re- you know, to that part of the site as well as the research report we reference. We'll try to get all, get that all in there so folks can see that. So yeah, with that, I want to thank you both for taking time out of the week to uh, to talk about your work. Thank you, David. Thank you very much for the audience. Lisa and Kyle, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining David on the show today. Um, I always learn a lot as the audience does, I'm sure as well. David, thank you for facilitating this and and getting this podcast going and doing all that you do for those that are listening to us. Of course, our last thank you is for you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Common Area Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually helps other people find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at WMRE, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.